0: like to talk a little bit more about some of my winners and losers of the free agency period now this isn't going to be the same as my top five teams after free agency list because that was a more of a power index uh, more than anything but when breaking down these winners and losers I'm simply going to look at which teams have started to make moves that will fill areas of need or have failed to do so all right let's get started My first winner is the Cleveland Browns. With over $100 million of cap space and nine top 65 picks in the NFL draft, the Browns were in prime position to jumpstart an ongoing rebuild with a new-look front office that had been in need of a makeover for quite some time. After bringing in GM John Dorsey, who has had a great reputation around the league for the moves that he made with the Chiefs and the Packers, The Browns finally found their, quote, football guy for all of those who didn't like the analytics approach that they had taken in the past. With lots of real estate to start with, Dorsey was put into a position where he could overhaul the entire roster and start basically from scratch, which is exactly what he's done. Since the new league year began, the Browns haven't been shy about making moves, They spent a lot of money on beefing up their offensive line last year, so it was time to find talent on the perimeter starting March 14th. Boy, this was a busy day for the Cleveland Browns, and it started with them trading for Jarvis Landry, formerly of the Miami Dolphins. I really like this move, but not for the reason that a lot of other people do. Landry comes over to the Cleveland Browns and most expect him to be the number one receiver in Cleveland after leading the league in receptions last year. Yes, Landry led the league in receptions, but he failed to even eclipse the 1,000-yard mark. In contrast, the number two leader in receptions uh, in the league was Antonio Brown, and after missing the last two and a half games due to injury, Brown still surpassed 1,500 yards receiving on the year. While Brown is a number one guy who takes the top off defenses, Landry will tear you apart underneath. Averaging around eight yards per reception, Landry isn't going to be a huge threat down the field, but will still get you first downs or close to them, and I'm sure every coach will take that. In my mind, the Browns are banking on Josh Gordon to finally be a reliable number one target, showing flashes of greatness in the past. Gordon's off-the-field issues have so far derailed the early portion of a receiver's career who many consider to be the best wideout talent since Calvin Johnson. If Gordon is back for the Browns next season, he is the clear-cut number 1 guy and he should be. With his size and athleticism opening up underneath routes for Landry, this could be a deadly combo on the outside and this can also be a great way for the Browns to manage Corey Coleman's role as a number three receiver now and will hopefully work on some of the issues that he had dropping the football in the early stages of his young career. Signing Landry was a great move for the Browns to solidify their receiving core. Under center, the Browns let go of Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler, and Kevin Hogan in the matter of weeks and brought in Tyrod Taylor from the Bills. For the short term, I think this was a good move as well for Cleveland. Taylor was never embraced by any of the Bills' regimes, and they seemingly couldn't get rid of him fast enough, so there's a case to argue that Taylor won't fare well in Cleveland either, but with a short contract and pieces around him, a guy who's won games with below average talent in Buffalo should be a nice bridge to groom a rookie quarterback and allow him to get some experience while learning from a guy who's made his way around the league. Not a long-term answer, but someone who Cleveland fans will be able to embrace for a short period of time before handing over the reins to a hot QB prospect following this year. This was a solid move for the Browns. Aside from those big-name signings, the Browns found help in many other areas of need this offseason. Losing Isaiah Crowell to the Jets, Cleveland quickly signed Carlos Hyde from the 49ers, and many still believe that they could draft a running back to round out their backfield with Hyde and Duke Johnson. I see this as a major upgrade, especially if their snaps are managed right. After the retirement of Joe Thomas, left tackle will be an interesting position for Cleveland this year. They brought in Chris Hubbard and Donald Stevenson for some competition, but with an overall weak free agency market and less than ideal draft class for one of the most important positions in the game, this is a question mark that may hinder the progress in both the passing and the running games for the immediate future. It's a good thing that they signed a mobile quarterback, now that's for sure. Defensively, trading away their top corner in Jason McCordy leaves a major hole in a secondary that already needed help. But acquiring Demarius Randall. E.J. Gaines and T.J. Carey were a great start to providing depth in their secondary, and a great draft class of perimeter defensive talent should help round out those positions for the Browns for the future, even in the later rounds. As a whole, it seems like Dorsey and the Browns have a plan moving forward, and with the GM's success elsewhere, it's hard not to like the moves he's made so far. Winter. The Los Angeles Rams come in as another winner for me in free agency. I know that there have been knocks on coach Sean McVay for grabbing big name players with character issues so early in his coaching career, but the fact of the matter is that these guys produce when they're on the field. The Rams had lots of question marks in their secondary, and this was their biggest area of concern when free agency started. In a matter of days, that need was filled by Marcus Peters and Aqib Talib, who, despite having large personalities, are regarded as two of the top corners in the entire league. With lockdown guys on both sides of the field, it's going to be very difficult for receivers to create separation, especially when the quarterback is being rushed by Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue up front. Sue comes over as a free agent from Miami on a one-year prove-it deal. And this may be the scariest of the Rams' signings. With Donald already looking uh, like one of the best players in the entire league, period, and eating up double teams himself, Sue somehow will be one on one with opposing linemen for the first time since probably Pee Wee football. You can't double team them both, and every week this season is going to cause headaches for coordinators planning against them. If the Rams find help on the edge, they could have themselves another fearsome four. With these signings, there are character questions, so I'd like to touch on that a little bit. While I do see the criticism of McVeigh, I'd also like to highlight that these players are all defensive players. On offense, which is McVay's specialty, players need to play with a bit more chemistry to make sure that plays time upright and run according to plan, especially in the system that they've established in L.A. On the defensive side, though, you have Uncle Wade Phillips, who's been around the league training guys to work within the system just as long as anybody. And personally, I'm totally okay with having guys that have a little snarl when they step on the field. It's just like what Mick said in Rocky. You have to have a little snarl when you throw a punch. And that's exactly what these guys are going to do. They're going to punch you in the mouth on that side of the ball. Defensive guys aren't supposed to be nice, and we know for a fact that these players produce just as good, if not better, than anyone in the league at their positions when they're between the lines on the field. Offensively, it's a totally different story, which brings me to my next point. It was said that the Rams vetted Odell Beckham Jr., and that they didn't really like what they heard coming from him or the Giants camp when thinking about making a trade for the star receiver. In this case, they passed on the player with question marks off the field and opted for Brandon Cooks. Cooks can stretch the defense almost as well as Beckham with his speed, and while he isn't as versatile, you know exactly what he brings to the table both on and off the field. Still a big upgrade from Sammy Watkins. The Rams got a lot better offensively with the Cooks deal, and this should show you that the Rams aren't just going after the guys with character issues. Defensively, they don't care as much, but offensively, this is a great point to make from the franchise's standpoint to all those who questioned them. The Rams did lose some pieces in free agency, most notably linebackers Robert Quinn and Alec Ogletree and these will be big losses for them next season. Both players were extremely talented and were some of the top performers on the team in recent years, but with help on both the defensive front and the back end to make up for it, this allows the Rams to get younger and develop emerging talent at the linebacker position throughout the season. While their big-name signings are short-term, the Rams could be a force in their division in 2018. Next up, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. I know this one is pretty straightforward because they won the Super Bowl, but Philly didn't sit back and get complacent with the roster they had. In the NFC East, a division with the Cowboys, Giants, and Redskins, the Eagles are defending champs and the only team in their division to make a splash for the right reasons in the new league year. Think about it. The Giants have been in the news for off-the-field issues with OBJ. They lost Jason Pierre-Paul, and they have a lot of work to do entering a rebuild following a 3-13 season. The Redskins lost Kirk Cousins and Terrell Pryor in the offseason, and while Pryor wasn't a huge factor in their offense, and some may say the team got better by adding Alex Smith at quarterback, his window is closing a lot faster than the younger Cousins, and both of them really have a similar ceiling. The fact of the matter is that the Redskins still have a lot of work to do to get to the Eagles level, and this offseason was a slow start to be considered a contender in the division. Dallas didn't have as much work to do this offseason, but lingering issues with Des Bryant have seemingly preoccupied them in upgrading the defensive side of the ball where they need more help when facing high-powered offenses like the Eagles. With Zeke coming back this year, I do believe Jerry Jones was right in saying that the gap between the Cowboys and the Eagles is a lot smaller than people think, but Dallas' main issue is that they were unusually quiet. While the Champ Eagles, who many expected to be quieter, weren't, and they didn't hesitate in rearming for 2018. So let's look at the Eagles' moves. Obviously the big one for Philly was the trade that they made for Michael Bennett. Adding to an already outstanding defensive line, Bennett is surely an upgrade over Vinnie Curry, who they quickly dealt to Tampa Bay after the trade with Seattle. Entering the later stages of his career, Philly's rotational system will allow Bennett to play at maximum effort for about 35 to 40 snaps a game. The Eagles also added Holodi Nada to solidify the interior of their defensive line. Although people look at this as Philly going out and signing a big-name player, I really like the move. Obviously, Fletcher Cox is their number 1 defensive tackle and will be for the foreseeable future. With Timmy Jernigan playing alongside Cox in the middle, Nata can rotate in and give quality snaps to replace Bo Allen, who they lost in free agency. A man that we know can make an impact on the game, Nada won't be required to carry a big load like he did earlier in his career with the Ravens. Managing his snaps as well, he'll be able to provide great experience as a solid role player to throw into the mix. Although the Eagles lost their top corner in free agency as Patrick Robinson heads to the Saints, Philly did trade for Daryl Worley from the Panthers. And again, this draft is full of secondary help if they choose to go that route. Defensively, the Eagles will still provide opposing quarterbacks nightmares on the flip side of the ball the addition of Mike Wallace was a strong one I know I touched on this before but Wallace at age 31 is still fast enough to get behind a defense and as a number three wide receiver will likely fill the role that Torrey Smith left behind this offseason Losing Brent Selleck and Trey Burton in free agency, the Eagles recently filled their tight end need with Richard Rodgers, who comes over from the Packers. Oh yeah, and they get Carson Wentz back from injury next year. The real question mark for me is Frank Reich's departure to become the head coach in Indy. We saw this last year too with Atlanta when Kyle Shanahan left for San Francisco. Steve Sarkeesian stepped in for the Falcons, and their offense never quite looked the same this past year. An offensive genius. Reich leaves some pretty big shoes to fill in Philly, but at least for the Eagles, they hired in-house with a guy that's been around the system that Peterson was comfortable running as an offensive guy himself. For that reason, I don't think this will cause the Eagles too much trouble next year. Losers. Okay, moving on to the losers in free agency, where I'm transitioning from a team with plenty of quarterback talent to a team that is in desperate need of some, the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals in just a year's span of time go from looking like a contender to looking lost. With the retirement of Carson Palmer the Cardinals were in need of a quarterback and everyone knew it. They really should have drafted one a year or two ago given Palmer's history of injuries, but after failing to do that, they also dropped the ball so far this offseason. They missed on every big-name quarterback and instead paid Sam Bradford $20 million for next season alone. Yeah, Bradford, with a deteriorating knee. You know what that means? It's not going to get any better. He's had a problem with this for years, and it's the reason why he lost the job last season in Minnesota in the first place, so he's obviously not your long-term answer. And in the draft, The Cardinals are selecting way too low at 15 to have a shot at one of the top prospects. To make things worse, they've shown no motivation to trade up so far, and let me pose this question to tie things back together. If Philadelphia was asking for a first round pick for Nick Foles, and you're not going to get a guy at 15, why wouldn't you trade for him? You know what he brings to the table after being in the league for years. And basically what you're saying is that you feel like you can get a better talent with that pick than you would with Foles, the Super Bowl MVP. Arizona, look around. Everywhere you go in the NFC, especially in your division, Seattle has Russell Wilson, San Francisco has Jimmy G, and L.A. has Jared Goff. Everyone in your division, heck, maybe everyone in your conference, has a franchise quarterback. You're going to be irrelevant very, very fast without one and you've done nothing to put yourself in a position to even take a chance on a guy. Loser. Losers. All right, next. How about the Jets? They put all of their chips in one basket during the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes and they fell short of signing him. So now they're left with an old man in Josh McCown and somebody who's, who nobody's seen in three years with Teddy Bridgewater. Clearly, they're going to get a guy in the draft, but in terms of free agency, the Jets lost this offseason. In a division with Brady, all of the other AFC East teams seem to be scrambling to find their franchise guy, and the Jets are long overdue to find that person. They just haven't been able to so far. They signed Terrell Pryor, who Washington couldn't wait to get rid of, and Isaiah Crowell, who couldn't even get a long-term deal in Cleveland after being undrafted, so it doesn't seem like the ceiling for those guys is very high. Not to mention, they released their best defensive player in Muhammad Wilkerson. They did make some moves along the offensive line, but they also just fired their offensive line coach, so there are still questions along their front. For a team that some thought overachieved last year in a 5-11 and season, The Jets still have a lot of ground to make up for.